this is Chris Westfall, and this is the Financial Executive Podcast. Special purpose acquisition companies, or SPACs, have become the latest rage in corporate finance, allowing private companies to go public by first being acquired by a blank check vehicle. According to the latest figures, there are over 400 SPACs now in the market that are seeking private firms to acquire and take public. In this episode of the Financial Executive Podcast, we speak with Manny Simpson, a partner with Crow Accounting Advisory, and Bill Watts, a principal also with Crow Accounting Advisory, about how financial executives involved with a SPAC transaction should plan and think about these unique vehicles. Uh, Mandy, if you could introduce yourself and, and what your role is at Crow. Sure. So my, my name is Mandy Simpson. I'm a partner in our accounting advisory practice. I am currently based out of our Atlanta office and uh, spent much of my career. Um, I've been with Crow since, since I graduated from college and spent much of my career in the financial services space. But over the course of the last two or three years, I've really moved into an accounting advisory role. So just helping institutions from all industries uh, deal with complex accounting and financial reporting matters, um, whether that be mergers and acquisitions, you know, adoption of new accounting standards, and as I believe we're going to talk about today, um, kind of figuring out some of the uh, accounting complexities that might be associated with a SPAC-type transaction. Great. And uh, Bill, maybe you can introduce yourself and, and your background. Yeah, sure. So I'm also a partner in our accounting advisory practice focused in very similar areas to Mandy, though I'm more on the operational implementation side. So we actually help companies go through IPO readiness, really preparing for and becoming public companies, both through as we're uh, mainly referred to, and we're going to talk about today how SPACs play in this role, as well as traditional roles of companies, just going through the process of becoming public and actually getting through those first couple of years of becoming public is as you can probably imagine, a lot of times, um, you know, companies become public and and, and the challenges don't don't uh, end right there. And so um, right. that's where I kind of focus my time and effort. And like me, I've been here for many years, 18 years at Crow. Before that, I spent time in at a big four accounting firm doing very similar areas of accounting and, and governance support uh, in my background. So most of my experience has been helping companies across a variety of industries really understand and implement these complex accounting issues that Mandy kind of helps us interpret and then really getting them a good foothold to kind of move forward and operate as a public company. Great. Great. And that all makes sense. I wanted to start off, well, you know, I'm going to start off broad and then sort of get more specific. But um, the first question I have is, I mean, obviously blank check companies are nothing new. Um, you know, these structures have been around for a while, but w- from your perspective, Maybe I'll start with Mandy. What do you think prompted the interest in the growth in SPACs in 2020? Sure. So, you know, I think the appeal of SPACs is that they're um, a fast way to get access to capital. Uh, I think, you know, we saw a lot of capital activities being sidelined, a lot of uh, kind of excess liquidity, uh, investors looking for a place to to invest. And so I think maybe the confluence of those events have made this option appear a little bit more attractive here recently than maybe the activity that we saw in prior years. And Bill, what's your perspective? And um, I guess to your point, do you think it's going to continue in the new year? Yeah, so I, I have a very similar uh, view. I think that, you know, companies coming, you know, into and out of this pandemic, you know, really saw a lot of opportunity as they continue to grow and, and see 
see that that opportunity to to provide value to to the market and look for ways to kind of accelerate that. And, you know, this is all kind of new and different for us as well as those in the investment environment um, in terms of, you know, these IPO. And so I think this kind of initial market volatility, you know, caused a lot of IPO activity to kind of grind to a halt early in the pandemic. Hmm. Um, and a lot of it had to do with the fact that, you know, companies just really couldn't get out there and, and make offers or talk about themselves to the public. And then um, I think as, you know, the pandemic got moving companies started to learn pretty quickly how to operate in this environment. And those that operated very efficiently and, and saw a lot of growth opportunities um, really uh, uh, kind of outshine those in the market that were struggling. And I, I think the environment started to see that there was a lot of opportunity there. And so I think um, that kind of, of caused a, um, a ripple effect through the industry in terms of companies starting to realize, hey, there is still a life in this market and we, we can mm. seek and, and look for opportunities to grow through these equity events. Um, I also think, you know, the, the presidential election that came, you know, last fall and, and into early this year, um, you know, caused a lot of still, you know, kind of anxiety and concerns for companies. And so, you know, typically things slow down near an end of an election year, but, you know, it just seemed like the activity kind of changed and, and didn't really slow down, but kind of accelerate, especially mm -hmm. as Mandy mentioned, there was this quicker avenue to get into this. So uh, I would say in the short term or midterm, uh, I don't really see the slowing down. I think you continue to, to look in the press and the market and see SPACs and in, in these uh, blank check companies are forming rapidly. And so, as you know, they have to quickly uh, go out and acquire within 24 months of them being, you know, becoming a public SPAC. And so I think you'll continue to see a lot of aggressiveness in the market over at least the next 24 to probably 48 months. And, and uh, I want to ask, uh, I'll start with Manny. Are there any industries that you see, you know, taking advantage of SPACs more than others? Um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I would say that, you know, kind of as I alluded to earlier, I think companies that are newly formed or fast growing in this environment and saw a lot of opportunity um, in industries related to uh, consumer consumption. So those that are able to distribute and get things to consumers quickly saw a lot of growth opportunity. And, and it tends to be not so much specific industry, but I'd say more maturity of companies. So you see continue to see many startups Though that may be related to tech and a lot of them tend to be associated with technology um i say that's still a pretty hot market where you see a lot of last back activity but we see it across all industries though it tends to be once again with those more startup companies that are aligned to high growth high potential areas that really were not harmed or hindered by the pandemic that's interesting so so if if you're you know our members you know you know senior level financial executives a lot of them in middle market companies you know they um, obviously are very interested in what's going on in the spac space maybe uh, one of you can talk about like what do they have to keep in mind what are the top things they have to keep in mind if they're going to be involved in a spac transaction. Yeah, maybe I'll start and certainly we'll let Bill weigh in here. But I think, you know, you've heard us talk about one of the benefits and why why SPACs have been so popular is kind of the speed at which the deals get done. And, mm. and so that's uh, very attractive. But that speed is really a blessing and a curse for executives that may be um, involved in those target companies that would be acquired. And and, um, you know, I think when you're going through a, a traditional IPO process, you know, it is more drawn out, which means you have more time to do all of the things that you need to do to get ready for becoming a public company. 
in these spec transactions, that time frame is very, very compressed. And so um, you've got to keep in mind, you know, you're still asking your questions, are we ready to become a public company? And, and what are the things that we need to have in place to be able to get to a point where we can be a public company? Because it's, uh, you know, that access to the capital, it you know comes with a lot of requirements that could be new accounting standards, additional disclosures, you know, just a lot more effort uh, involved, um, certainly at the outset, um, but, you know, definitely even on an ongoing basis, just the maintenance of that, those procedures uh, requires a lot of effort. So, um, you know, are you ready to make that commitment, put that stress on your people, get the additional talent you need uh, to be able to move forward in that space? And where in exactly in the finance, you know, in the finance uh, unit, uh, do you need a lot of the help? You know, you talk about disclosures or is it across the board? I'd say it's across the board. I mean, you know, when I think about um, the things currently in play here, as we said in 2021, you know, if you're going through a SPAC transaction, there's some big accounting standards out there that you probably haven't adopted that if you're going to become public, you'll likely need to accelerate your adoption of, you know, the lease standard um, of the credit losses standard, if that's mm. impactful to your organization. And I think even, um, you know, Bill and I have shared stories about revenue recognition, which non-public companies have had, you know, everybody's adopted that, but the, um, audit scrutiny that's going to be applied for you know revenue recognition as a private company versus a public company likely very different and so do you really have all of the accounting policy documentation and and information that you need to be able to go through that process um but on the that you know that's just a small piece of the accounting you know there's also your sec disclosures and so that's going to be putting together your kind of mdna your risk um, you know, significant risks, you know, all of that quarterly and annual reporting requirement that's going to be significantly higher, as well as just throughout the organization, your internal controls over financial reporting, which are now also going to, uh, you know, kind of need to be upgraded and documented and, and receive an additional level of scrutiny. So that's really one that's quite pervasive. That's not just, oh, that's something the accountants do. That's something that kind of everybody's going to need to uh, adapt to. Yeah, and, and I might just add to that, and you know, we work quite a bit with companies that are being acquired by SPACs, and, and we really find that most or not all of them run into three main challenges. Do you have efficient resources? Because mm -hmm. it is a lot more work, and especially in the accounting and reporting requirement area. So we find that companies typically aren't ready for this because they don't have enough resources. Two, of those resources, they normally don't have the right expertise or the competency. Most private organizations tend to not have many people on staff that have worked at public companies or are experienced in doing public company reporting, as Mindy's kind of alluded to. I mean, three is establishing that governance and internal control framework she mentioned as well. Many organizations, once again, either haven't formalized that or don't have the expertise or knowledge of how to go through that. And, and you know, it, becoming a public company is a life cycle. You go through many stages. And as Mandy alluded to, it gets compressed very quickly with, with going through a SPAC. And so a lot of times these are layered on top of each other where you can't really spread them out very much and therefore it causes more stress and, and challenges and therefore the need for these resources and, and changes. I ask you this, if, if I'm a, a owner or a, a finance person in a private company and um, it looks like I'm gonna be involved in a SPAC, what, what are the, two main things I need to be concerned about right off the bat. I mean, how do I get prepared for that? 
Um, I'll let whoever wants to speak about that. Maybe yeah, Bill. I, I, yeah, I can start first because this is what we help companies with. I mean, first is sitting down and educating uh, both the CFO as well as we'll call the executive, uh, uh, the executives of the organization, not only the CFO, but the CEO. And if there's a COO and chief legal counsel and HR, all these individuals have to understand. And as Mandy alluded to, it's going to impact all of them. So it's one, giving them an education of what the process will look like, what's in what it entails, what type of investment and resources you'll need and kind of a, a time frame, And then it's really developing that, what we call finance kind of a framework. And it's really specific to your organization and how you'll ensure that there's a complete, clear and controlled implementation. So it's not just ensuring you get everything done, but you have a roadmap so that you're under control, you're organized and you're, you're implementing this at the right pace, as well as your auditors are gonna be involved with this, your external auditors, and they're gonna to wanna to see this and understand that you're moving at the right pace as well. And so there's kind of a lot of parallel paths going for the CFO. Not only does he have to understand or she has to understand internally what the framework, what the roadmap and how it's gonna roll out, but they're also dealing with these stakeholders, external auditors, potentially regulators, depending on the industry they're in and, and really being impacted by their work as well. Cause as you know, you have to potentially go back and restate prior year financial statements under public company standards where you may have had those audits done under private uh, company standards in the past. So as, as we alluded to earlier, there's a lot of rehashing of documentation or creating of documentation from that regard. So I think creating this kind of roadmap framework um, is essential as well as starting to align to that your resource support. And so understanding how are we gonna get this done by these these milestones or timeline and what, what resources do we need? And so understanding what that entails. And once again, it's not just the number of resources, but the type of resources, not only across uh, finance and accounting, but it many times is IT, uh, could be operations, depending on, you know, once again, the type of industry and in, in that regard. And then um, as, you know, Mandy and I work together very closely, then the next step would be kind of understanding the complexities of accounting and specific to your business, because not every business will have the same type of complex accounting transactions or or items on their balance sheet that they have to deal with. And there are many different nuances that private organizations didn't really have to be concerned about that now under public company scrutiny will change quite a bit in terms of detail, form uh, and interpretation. So there's a lot of these things that go into this roadmap. And so I think as a, as a CFO uh, faced in this environment, you know, education, having a formalized time frame and, and foundation approach to it uh, will be very critical and, and help ensure its success, success down the road. And Bill, I was glad you took that one because Chris, when you said, what are the two things you needed to do? My first thought was, I, you know, it's kind of hard to say what are the two things because, right. you know, there's dozens of things, but I think Bill did a really good job of framing that, that the key is you got to have everybody on board and you've got to have a really good plan because there's going to be lots of parallel work streams. So you need to figure out, you know, where are the gaps, you know, where, where might you need to employ some additional resources to make sure you can meet the aggressive timelines. Man, I want to ask you, I mean, given that you know, it's an aggressive timeline with these, these structures, um, but they, you know, these are complex accounting issues, uh, you know, and you're going from zero to 60 in a lot of ways um, in understanding them. How do you sort of prepare the finance staff or get them that transition of, of, of adopting to this new way of accounting for things? Yeah. I mean, you know, that's really a lot of times the role that we are brought into play is to, um, you know, if, especially if a company doesn't have 
um, you know, somebody on their staff with a public company reporting mm-hmm. skill set, you know, they may just need to bring in some outside help to, to kind of orient them around the different requirements. And so, um, but it really is dependent on each individual company because, again, the credit losses may be really big for another company and RevRec may be meaningless. And, you know, the, the opposite could be true at a different company. So it's really important to just sit down and kind of figure out what are your big rocks? Um, you know, what are the differences between what you've done under private company standards and public company uh, and and map out what what that plan of attack is going to be? Um, but even some of the, you know, you know, those are like the things that are on your balance sheet and on your income statement where you're dealing with kind of you're figuring out your historical accounting operations and what need may need to be changed. But there's other nuances associated with the SPAC transaction itself that can be really complex. So figuring out who's going to be the accounting acquirer and what does that mean? Uh, you know, for actually accounting for the transaction, you know, mm-hmm. figuring out how you're going to do pro forma disclosures, because there's a lot of complexity uh, kind of associated with how these deals work and how the equity, uh, you know, may work in the deal. So there's just a lot of, um, you know, additional nuances from an accounting perspective that uh, you got to sit through and make sure you've kind of got that complete list together so that you're working from a comprehensive playbook as you're figuring out how to get things done. Sort of a, a sort of a wrap up final question I have for you is, is for both of you is is um, from your different perspectives I guess from from the accounting side and from the operational side what do you think uh, is going to what do you think the landscape is going to be like this year um, for SPACs and is it is it changing at all um, are there different priorities that you're seeing come up uh, when in relationship to SPAC transactions that you didn't see in 2020, I guess I'll start with Mandy from a mechanic perspective, you know, do you, do you see these changing at all or do you see continuing, you know, the priorities continuing the way they've developed? I mean, Bill will probably be better equipped to kind of handle it just from, you know, what he's observing. I think the accounting issues, you know, likely aren't going to change significantly. I mean, it may be different, you know, slightly different accounting standards, slightly different, uh, you know, nuances that, but from an accounting and financial reporting, there's nothing really new and additional coming down the pike. Um, So I, I think that those challenges will remain the same, but, you know, from a, you know, operational or just kind of logistics perspective, you know, Bill, I know you said that you expect the activity to continue at least for the next 24, maybe even 48 months. So I suspect you don't think that the pace and the uh, to-do lists are going to shorten any over that time period. Yeah, no, not really. I mean, if you just look at the number of SPACs that's out there, it's a pretty simple, you know, view or calculation. Cause as I mentioned, SPACs have two years to, we'll say spend their money, acquire a company, however you want to explain it, uh, or they have to revert back all their funding to the investors and dissolve being a public SPAC. So, mm. you know, a lot of times it's a rush or, 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 you know, it's a race to the finish line for these SPACs. And so there are a, a very large number of SPACs still out there operating in that two year time frame. So we see those still out there actively pursuing and we'll probably continue to pursue because they don't want to dissolve and, and, you know, basically revert back their funding. They want the opportunity right. to, you know, the equity. So we, that's why I say, I think for at least the next two to three years, there'll be a continuation of this. Could it slow down? Possibly, you know, if, if the market starts to change and, and SPACs will say fall out of favor and companies realize that it's, it's more invitational to go through uh, a traditional IPO model or not go public at all, maybe acquisitions of, 
each other will will be more from a private perspective. But um, I truly believe that we'll still see SPAC activity, as I mentioned, for at least the next two to three years, um, just because they're there and they have activity. The interesting thing I will note is that, you know, SPACs in general, when they when they form, they have to basically as part of their their uh, investment, talk about what industry they might focus on. And right. what I always found interesting was if you follow these SPACs and their activity, um, majority of the SPACs do not acquire in the industry they think they're gonna they're gonna um, uh, focus on or what they claim to be gonna be their mm. of expertise. Uh, we've seen a variety, wide variety of crossover, and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that you know they have this limited time frame and that there are a lot of opportunities quickly uh, uh, materializing across a lot of different areas, as I said, no one industry. So I think we'll continue to see that. And that might be an area where companies have to understand that, you know, though a SPAC may say that they're going to specialize in a specific industry, I think in the end, they're going to look for the best opportunity for themselves uh, as well as the organization. So I think, you know, if a company feels they're in an industry where they don't see a lot of SPACs forming and focused on that, I wouldn't readily feel that there's not opportunities out there for you because as I mentioned, we've seen a majority of SPACs focus on companies and acquire companies that aren't specific to the industry they originally formed around. Great, great, terrific. Those are my questions. Thanks very much for taking the time. Thank you. Yep, thanks for having us, Chris.